bit of a review, our opinion on American War in London. I'm sat with two of the best. Go on, guys, introduce yourself. Colin here. Uh, looking forward to chatting all things American War in London. Yep, Alan here, and I've got to say, American War in London is one of my favourite films ever, possibly my favourite. So I'm really looking forward to this. Yep. So, American War in London. So where do we start with this one, boys? It's a 1981 film directed by John Landis. Now, John Landis previously at this point had done Animal House and Blues Brothers, so he was quite new into the so like directorial at the time. So yeah, so Alan, talk us in, bring us into this one. All right. Well, I th- I think you know, like I, I just previously said a moment ago, it's one of my favourite films, and I think that one of the reasons that I was kind of like captivated by this film was literally it was the beginning, you know, the first 15 minutes of this movie. Um, I would argue with anybody to say that this isn't the best 15-minute opening scene ever created, not just in horror, because, you know, when you look at it, you have, you know, the two guys who are going to be our main characters, and within the space of, like I said, you know, not long at all, you get atmosphere, you get tension, you get horror, you get foreboding, you know, in 15 minutes, and it doesn't, mix it all up it doesn't make it jumbled it's cohesive um and it flows and it's just fantastic you know everything from the tension being built from the wolf howling to to the villagers giving the warning which i think is is a real kind of good nod back to even like the old um not even the hammer horror films but the universal horror films you know when they kind of built um horror movies around atmosphere rather than anything else and i think that american world in london just captured that perfectly um, and I can honestly say that I watched this having come as film been about 10 years old. So, you know, really shouldn't be watching it at that sort of age. But I can just remember sort of after that 10 minutes, not being scared, but just going, wow, this is brilliant. This is amazing. You know, and that's kind of where it started for, uh, really for me. I, I think that, you know, I got, I got hooked with it. Um, I do kind of have a bit of a argument sometimes with people because a lot of people say that Jaws is the best opening scene in cinema, especially sort of in horror and thriller. I'm like, no, no, that, 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 that's for a couple of seconds. Yeah. This is 15 minutes. This is proper draws you in. And yeah. once, once you're in, that's it, you know. Yeah. And I just think it's magnificent uh, cinema. It's great film, uh, film directing. It's great storytelling. Um, and I just can't, I, well, you can probably guess, just for, you know, I'm, I'm probably gushing so much over it. You know, I, I just can't, I, I can't see any film, you know, opening better than this one does. Yeah, no, I, I won't argue with that, to be honest with you, got that. But I do want to put in there real quick a bit of a George Romero flavour. Day of the Dead also had a really good opening to a horror film as well. Just saying that. But yeah, yeah. no. So, <laughs> so yeah, let's talk, let's talk about cast for a second. So we've got two guys who are on sort of like a vacation travelling across Europe. Uh, David Norton and Griffin Dunn. Um, David and... Oh, God, Jack. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot his name. So, yeah, so we've got David and uh, Jack and the... Wandering around, sort of like the moors, or if you will. Uh, I'd quite like to know how they got there. Personally, I want to know how they got there because <laughs> they just start yeah. off. With all, there's, there's like, some, there's some. Sorry, to jump in. There's, there's some uh, exposition around that they're going to go to to Italy afterwards, and, yeah. and, and the kind of women they're going to meet in Italy. So I guess they're on a kind of backpacking trip around Europe. But you're right; it might have been a bit cool to see see the guys maybe leaving the States or somewhere else on their journey. Uh, but, of course, it just plots them right down in the middle of the auction moors in, in yeah. so what Alan 
quite rightly says is, is 15 minutes of, of amazing cinema. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pure, pure genius in cinema. So, yeah, you got these two guys, and they're obviously, like Colin said, they're planning their sort of like trip for the next couple of weeks or whatever, and talk about Italy and stuff. But they seem to sort of like walk down some roads because they keep on getting these um, subtle hints to stick to the roads. So they're walking down. But then all of a sudden they're walking down a, a hill. <laughs> so you kind of decide to say, stick to the roads. Yeah, okay, whatever, walk down the fucking hill. So yeah, they're walking down the hills this town, whatever. And they go to the, um, what I would personally believe, I'd drink there. It would be my local, to be fair, if I if there's a pub called The Slaughtered Lamb. That is one really cool name for a pub. So anyway, they go into this pub and... It's quite a hostile environment there, to be fair. But to be fair, most local pubs in the UK, for any of the American friends who watch this, it is quite like that. You go into a pub and there's there's certain areas where you don't go into the pub where you've got your dark players, obviously, the, you made me miss guy. And, you know, you got all that. And even Rick Mail, Rick Mail's there. Yeah. I, yep. I would agree. It, it's, it, 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 this doesn't put us Brits in the best of light. Uh, yeah. But I would agree that is a very accurate depiction of a kind of locals only village pub uh so that's that's another great strong point of the film you know it's it's not shying away from from that it's using that you know to its advantage well that's it i mean there's some quite famous faces to be fair in that pub we had brian glover he was a chess player uh, obviously sadly um he's, he's passed there was david Schofield. he's a dark player um, I actually believe he lives in Greater Manchester as well. Um, yeah. I, I don't, don't quote me on that. I'm pretty certain I read that somewhere. And then you had obviously Lila, oh, what's she called? Lila K? The barmaid. The barmaid, yeah. 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 Who, who was probably the only nicest person to them in there. <laughs> but even <laughs> even then, she was still like, yeah, but you're not having it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, who else was there? There was um, Rick Mail. He was also the second chess player. And then obviously, yeah. you know, there's a couple of others. But there was some. For British folklore, there were some very famous people doing yeah. very small roles in what yeah. happened to become, become a really, really big film. And obviously then they're in there and they, they, don't, they get made to feel not welcome, so they get told to leave because <laughs> he asks about some weird five-point star. And I think Griffin Dunn's character, Jack, was a bit into the occult. I think he quite liked that. and I think he was interested. I think that's why he come and said it. Again, referring to the you made me miss thing, which caused yeah. all the fucking hell breaking news. I mean, <laughs> in that, in nowadays, there'd probably be a punch up, but back then, it was just get out, <laughs> just leave. So they did. And then, obviously, what's happening now? They're walking, they, they'd bear off to the, um, onto the moors. And then the howl. Let's just talk about the howl for a second. At first, I was like, it sounded like a train horn or like a, a multiple of, you know what I mean? To me, it sounded like a train. I I, I didn't think of it as a werewolf howl at all. No, I, I think with that, I think up to up to that point, if you you know if you kind of take it back to like the Lon Chaney Junior movies and stuff like that, howls were howls. They were yeah. wolf howls. But the, the different thing about this was, and you know, like I said, as a kid, I wasn't necessarily scared. But something that kind of did make me sort of like a bit edgy was the howl because it was different because it was more like a growl than yeah. a howl if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know and i've never heard anything like that before and to be honest with you you know in movies like that in werewolf movies since i haven't really heard it and if and if you do sort of um i can't, which, I can't remember which one it was i remember watching a werewolf movie with a howl in and it was the howl was not too 
dissimilar from American Wealth in London. Yeah. And I kind of think that's kind of when you think, you know, that's when a film has done its job right, when you get imitation, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, again, I mean, even that kind of, the how is is perfect for for the film. It's so unique, isn't it? It's so unique. It's it's almost like if you listen to any bands or musicians, as soon as you hear Lemmy Kill Mr. From Motorhead, you know it's Lemmy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You can listen to all these bands and all these singers, they all sound the same, but when Lemmy's going, it's different. You know it's Lemmy. It's the same thing. It's the same with the Howl. I haven't really heard it since, and that's definitely... Well, you can't beat it, 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 It just seems to work with the whole scene. I mean, obviously, they've got... You know, they're in the middle of the moors, it's dark, there's bad weather, it's poor visibility. And it just, the way it kind of pierces the scene, yeah. pierces the atmosphere, it, it just works on so many levels. Uh, well, well, that's it, because I've got some um, really good surround sound of mine. And obviously, because of the 4K player, it doesn't, I'm not going to 4K because I don't think it's out 4K yet, because obviously we've got the arrow release, but that's probably the best mm. visual you got. But I think they've done something with the sound because do you know a bit where they're running and they, they they can hear it and it goes, Oh, it seems dead far away. And it does, and you kind of feel a bit of hope from you think, oh, I'm gonna they might get away from this. Because <laughs> that's what I did when I was a kid and I was watching it. But a bit when they're running and then David falls over and he's like, Oh fucking hell, and then he goes, You know, you're really scared of your shit or something like that, and he goes, yeah. You're gonna help me up and he's going. If you listen carefully, or you've got surround sound or whatever, or sound bar or whatever they're called, you can hear it's like it's wooden you can hear really? it wooden. yeah and I f- it really brings it out and I'm fucking like that's so cool and he comes in and then obviously he attacks it it's brilliant I mean it's really good because obviously with David running away if you hear what Jack's saying he's like he's fucking, he's, like, he's killing me he's killing yeah. me and you can hear it and it's just like wow because when you think when you're watching it as a young you're just hearing screaming mm-hmm. but when yeah. you get a bit older you don't get really too sort of desensitised by it and you actually start hearing the dialogue in his head he's like he's killing me Wow, what a terrifying thing to say. <laughs> you know? Yeah, oh. Brilliant. It probably helps that you've seen it a lot as well because you can start to focus on those background little details, those little, you know, fine fine touches. Uh, that's what that's great about any film with multiple viewings. You know, you can start to focus a bit on those nice little delicate kind of, kind of touches and the films are full of them, you know, from yeah. start to finish. So that was it. So at this point now, Jack dead and Dave David now gets attacked and then all guns blazing. And then he looks over and he sees sort of like a, a man, if you will, breathing sort of like thing and it's bloody. And when I first watched it, because obviously I didn't really understand the, the werewolf thing. Well, I was like, said with Alan, about eight, nine, ten myself when I first watched it. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> It's clearly it's the guy who was the wolf. And, yeah. And I was just like, I'd never, it took me years before I actually figured out that that was actually the wolf. And I was just like, oh, now it makes more sense. Fair enough. But then obviously now we're in the um, hospital at this point. Now let's talk about a little bit about Jenny Agar's character. She is the um, nurse, uh, nurse Alex, Alex Price. Alex Price, yeah. Yeah. Now she's funny <laughs> in a lot of ways because she falls in love with David during its course in the uh, in the hospital and I can't stop but we're gonna come back to that in a second. The ghost of Jack appears with yeah. probably some of the best makeup for a corpse, yeah. for a walking corpse. And this thing this thing can rival 
some of Tom Savini's work because this was brilliant. This you saw the movement, you saw the liquid coming out. It was. I read somewhere as well that you were supposed to eat something and you're supposed to have seen it. Piece of that toast, wasn't it? The toast, yeah. Toast, toast, yeah. yeah. Now they they they, let, they didn't put that in because obviously it could have been too graphic or too gross. But me personally, I thought that may have added to it. But on the other hand, as well, it was perfect how it was. But just imagine that your, your dead friend tore apart. He's coming. He's there, and the first thing he says to you is, "Can I have a piece of toast?" <laughs> I mean, but then this is where it becomes a horror comedy now. This is like a, a horror film. It's a sinister horror film. But it's got yeah. a lot of comedy elements in it that makes it kind of very easy to watch. Well, Jack at this point just doesn't give a shit, does he? He's so blunt about everything and he just doesn't give a shit because he's dead. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's how he basically deals with the rest of the film. And it's just so deadpan, but it's yeah. the perfect way to to deal with his like situation you know mm. it, it just works perfectly and just a quick i mean i'm sure we'll talk about this a bit later with the infamous scene of scenes but even here we you know we get the first real look at wick baker's makeup and it's just absolutely amazing i mean he deserved the oscar hands yeah. down you know and this is an oscar winning film and probably people probably can not realize that or quickly forget that because it's horror and it's werewolf but this yeah. film won an oscar for yeah. its makeup and Rick Baker just did uh, amazingly well, and the the stuff with Jack uh, yeah. is, is just out there, just really, really top top notch. Yeah, and also again, like he did the uh, he did another werewolf film in nineteen eighty one as well. He did the Howling too. So mm. you know, he, Rick Baker was busy doing werewolves in nineteen eighty one and nineteen eighty two. He did Thriller, didn't he? He did, yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Rick Baker, you know, he's a very busy man doing making man change from man to dog, but yeah. <laughs> And he did really well. So let's go back to Jenny Argotta for a second. Now, <laughs> she makes me laugh throughout this entire film because she's like, takes him to back to her house. And in the meantime, they're, they're traveling on the tune, all the punks, and he's pulling faces. Again, uh, to our American friends, if you are watching that, if you was doing that in the tube, you wouldn't have left the tube. No. <laughs> At least you wouldn't have left the tube walking. And I don't think you'd be able to talk properly. But anyway, that was funny, and that was great. She's just, like, pissed herself laughing. But the thing that gets me the most is that she takes him for a bit of a stroll around her apartment, her, her flat. And he's like, yep, living room, the closet, the hallway, the toilet, blah, 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 the gym. I'm talking about the bed. Uh, and, you know, stuff like that. And then she flat out just says, I find you very attractive and blah, 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 but I don't bring men, American men, strangers into my house. And he's like, yeah. And Nesbitt, no, they fuck him. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> can I jump in the shower with you? No, there's none of that. It's just they're no. in the shower with some random music going on, and then they fuck him. And it's just like, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, time okay. wasted there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No time wasted. We've got a 90-minute time slot on this film, so we need to uh, crack <laughs> on with that. Yeah, so yeah, no. And that's what makes me, me laugh about that. It's just so, everything's so conveniently random. I think that's probably um, the com- one of the comedy elements behind the film because um <clears throat> you guys probably know this but you know I've, I've worked in horror um films and that and the perfect you know compliment to horror is comedy do you know what i mean it's yeah. it, you, you know you look at a lot of horror films and there are always seem to be moments of comedy just to kind of relax the audience a little bit do you know what i mean um and i kind of looking at it when when you know when i rewatched it not so long ago um with a little bit more experience in filmmaking than what i had before i was kind of thinking like 
that's probably the comedy element that's kind of to relax you a bit more because you know hindsight is a great thing because once that has happened things do kick up and yeah. it, and the comedy kind of i'd probably say after that bit you know there's not much comedy in it apart from obviously in, <clears throat> in the theater with jack and stuff which we'll talk about in a bit but that's probably the last part of the comedy before it gets really kind of serious yeah you know and it really goes up to a next level horror film if you look at some of John Landis's work up to that point, you know, he made, he'd done, like we mentioned earlier, Blues Brothers, but he'd also done National Lampoon's Animal House. He'd done Kentucky Fried Movie. movie. Now, I mean, look at that that body of work. Do you think, is he making a comedy with some horror or a horror with some comedy? You'd be sort of hard pushed to <clears throat> to sort of you know, anger it, wouldn't you? Because up, up till then, he's he's made straight kind of comedies yeah now he's dipping in with the horror but is it you know i wonder well i wonder how the balance i wonder how he saw that balance it'd be interesting yeah. to get a bit I, of think, I, I think um i think john america london is probably the real version of john landis you know what i mean because yeah i mean just to be fair to even reach out to john and just be able to actually talk to him just to ask him questions would be really cool that's why he should do conventions John Landis will do conventions in this country. So if anyone is a promoter out there, get John Landis. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, his, yeah, his panels will be packed, you know, and, well, I've got lots of stuff to say. But anyway, I think yeah, John Landis, I think uh, maybe come off in London, if, if uh, someone who doesn't know him and is just basically having an opinion would say that John Landis is American wealth in London, you know, because he's just like, he's just a human being at the end of the day. Yeah, we all we all have inner demons that we want to conquer, but we all like to have a laugh at the same time. And maybe John Landis's demon is a werewolf. Who knows? Yeah, that could be you where know? he's coming from. But his films are great, though. I mean, I love Blues Brothers. I absolutely love it. I love Animal House. Oh, yeah. I think John his cast, John Belushi. Oh my god, well, he was brilliant. If you if you, if you look at the eighties, just it just didn't put a foot wrong. You know, he's got yeah. spies like us. He's got Three Amigos. He's got yeah. he's got you know coming to america i mean straight away talking that you know literally three of the best comedies of the yeah. 1980s i mean just literally he managed to it's almost like you're skimming stone over the ocean and it hits three perfect bounces because yeah. he's got the perfect cast at the perfect time to make those films it was just yeah. amazing yeah so uh, john landis is a very talented director filmmaker in i mean you can appreciate that Katie allen because obviously you're a filmmaker yourself yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, he's one of those guys. I think that you know, kind of subconsciously, kind of influences you. You know, with the the filmmaking and stuff, especially in horror. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that purely because this was the first proper proper horror film that I ever watched. You know, and it's the one that stuck with me. And you know, you kind of look at when I'm working with directors and stuff now, you can kind of see a lot of the influence. Like you know, um, you know, for example. Me, you know, as a writer as well, I like to do a lot of um, foreshadowing, kind of like what John Landis does. You know, give the the audience a sense of what's going to happen, or you know, something that's going to, you know, that, that could happen further down the line. So yeah, it's um, yeah, just I can't really explain it. You know, he's you know, he's just um, you know, he's 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 a great director, great storyteller, um, and I think that. You know, will we say is American World in London? Is it a horror? Is it comedy? To be fair with John Landis, I think that he could probably turn his hand to pretty much most things. Yeah, you know, and, absolutely. And, you know, 
and come out, you know, with a diamond. To be fair. Yeah. So where are we up to now in the film? So yeah. So basically, yeah. So he, he's now he's left. She's left the apartment to go to work. So now it's the famous werewolf change scene. Just just interject briefly. Between that, we get Griffin Dunn again, who's now basically a green, voided zombie yeah. type character now, just to give him a bit more exposition around the fact that he should kill himself. And that's basically yeah. what he says, you know, you want to kill yourself. That's you know, that's basically <laughs> his message, which again is delivered so deadpan, it's awesome. Yeah, but, I love I love how dry it is. <laughs> yeah. But it really is that is a really good jump scare as well. You know, they they build to that, yeah, you know, yeah. which you know, and that is a, a, a great little scare, you know, just to close that mirror and suddenly he's there. That's you know? it. And the thing yeah. as well, that wasn't really done that often back then. Now it's done all the time. And you yeah. can see where there's a mirror in the room that's kind of open. You know for a fact he's closing that and someone's mm-hmm. behind him. So they've got yeah. John Landers to thank for that. But yeah, it's that... almost gone full circle now because yeah. you'll see a scene where someone's looking in their medicine cabinet and you know yeah. they're going to close that door and, and you know, they've got the mirror so there's going to be... A, a reflection to deal with. And I think it's almost gone full circle because now I think some filmmakers will set the shot up and set the kind of premise up so when they do shut that mirror door, you think there's going to be something there, but then there isn't. Because it has been done so much now following films like America, Werewolf in London. It's been done to death. They've kind of brought it full circle now and make you think it's going to happen and then it doesn't. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well because especially as, as fans of horror, you, you, you know, if, when you've watched probably as many horror movies as what we have, you know, like I said, Colin, you can, you suddenly, you you can you can pick out when there's supposed to be a jump scare coming, and you then oh, I don't know about you guys, but I find myself, you know, a lot of the time my focus maybe isn't on the characters that that are in the frame. I'm looking in the background. I'm looking mm-hmm. in and the doors and and everything that yeah, can possibly definitely. make you jump. Do you know what I mean? Um, so. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's a full circle, but I think, you know, John Landis, you know, in the jump scares that he got in this film are just phenomenal, you know, because it wasn't just one, there's a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. I kind of, I, I look forward to the jump scares. I mean, I, I love them. I, I love it. I'm, I'm like you, I always watch in the backgrounds to see what's going on. And But yeah, so yeah, this change, this, this werewolf change, I mean, you have to understand that this was, what, 38, 39 years ago? Mm, yeah. 1981. 1981. 1981. So this was a long time ago. I mean, the technology at the time, it means that these people really grafted to get this done. Yeah. This was an absolute fantastic change. The slow, the stop motion stuff, the slow motion stuff. I mean, the, 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 when the camera's in and you can see the hair moving, growing, which I believe that the hair's out, that's actually being dragged back in. It's pulled in reverse. Yeah, just, just play backwards, isn't it? Play yeah. backwards, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the bit where. Um, <clears throat> They see his arms and his legs, so I like go into you got the three, so like dog leg movement and wow, and the the the, the screaming is it's even leading up to it. You got that proper upbeat music and song, and he's just walking around and he's taking the piss. But then that happens. It's just like John, you're playing with my emotions here. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, there's a great <laughs> Wick Baker interview where where John's first kind of approached him about the scene, and of course up until then to hide a lot of the stuff that you know they can't really kind of manage they're done in dim light or poor light or at night so it's yeah. dark anyway and of course rick baker said this will be in broad daylight by the way this is going to be fully lit you've got nowhere to hide wick yeah. you know you've got nowhere there's gonna be no like shadows no dark corners it's in the middle of the living room brightly lit 
and you've got to now kind of pull it out of the bag and whoa, did he? Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I was good as well because um, I've, I've watched this um, interview where if you look at his the face, his eyes are always closed when he's changing because it was easier to do it like that because obviously with having oh, eyes yeah. open, it would have been really hard to do not to get the emotions in the eyes. So, but that bit though where he's really going out and he's making the noise and his eyes open up and you, you get that face, that's such a fucking cool shot. Well, I tell you what, the, you know, another another part that made me sort of uneasy, and sometimes it still does watching it back, is the part when he rolls onto his back and then he looks over at the camera yeah. and he, he reaches out, you know, yeah. and it's almost like, uh, you know, mm. I, I mean, we were talking about it the other day, weren't we? Yeah, we was, yeah, yeah. You know, just sort of saying that it was just that, almost like that last attempt, you know, uh, 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 you know, looking for help, you know. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, that that still gives me. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like he's reaching for the audience, you know? isn't yeah. he? He's like, yeah. he's like, come on, one of you's coming out of me, just shoot me in the head. <laughs> Give us a chance, yeah. yeah. Really, really cool. It's really, really cool. And then obviously he goes and kills his people, doesn't he? He goes mm-hmm. and kills those two really happy people who also <laughs> seem to be happy when they're dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he kills the three uh, homeless guys. He kills um, Michael Carter. Who we will be? Who we just spoke to the other day? He um, who else did he kill? I think that's it. That's it in the first um, bunch, isn't it? Yeah, that's really fucking funny. Though we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. The the, the the whole meeting and concept of that that's just John Landis. I think is brilliant. That's why he's a brilliant filmmaker because he just makes it brilliant. But yeah, so he does that and he kills them all and he wakes up in the. In the London Zoo, is that right? Yeah, wolf enclosure of London Zoo. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, why would it be in the wolf enclosure? That's that's got to be my, that's my one thing with it. Is like, how, why would that happen? You know. Well, the thing is, the, the, this this is the only thing that I can think of, and I'm going to sound proper like a dickhead, a proper crude, but if you look at that fence when he's in that, the roof has been caved in, so he's clearly got in there. So he was a wolf, and he's jumped up and he's gone in there. Whatever he's done in there is whatever he's done in there. But in the second film, in the in the sequel, that detective who has that dog in the um, cemetery where he changes for the first time, in the morning he wakes up next to that dog and that dog's legs are wide open. <laughs> now, you don't have to put two and two together to figure <laughs> out what happened between the werewolf and the dog. Yeah. Um, you know, but, yeah. so I think that's what's happened in that one. I think he's broken in there because he was a bit, he used full stomach. Yep. He got the horn. It could, I mean, I guess that's the question for John Landis. Yeah, well, we need to see if we can get him on just to answer that one, don't we? Um, yeah, that, that would be my question to him. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, from the storytelling point of view, you know, he wakes up and the zoo is packed because you've got the old lady that he bumps into, the the school kid that he takes the balloons off. You've got people running around. It's like you would think that somebody would notice that there is a naked guy in the enclosure. And you would at least think that maybe like the zookeepers would realise they've got an extra wolf. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just uh, a, it's, a big one as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so for me, that's kind of the only... Um, like you know, the the moment of where I'm the like pothole, that don't make sense. Yeah, the, you know the pothole. Yeah, but that's it. I mean, you are right because you would have thought like any respectable zoo would go and do like an animal enclosure, sort of like inspection before they opened up, not for anything that's dead or 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's clean up. Yeah, I get that. So yeah, I do understand why I didn't know on the spot a naked American man. You know. <laughs> but hey. the the zoo stuff, I can agree. Yeah, there's probably some little kind of you know, plot holes there that we'll let slide. Yeah. But having fair. been a born and bred Londoner, I can fully attest that a man stood at a bus stop wearing nothing but a stolen <laughs> fur coat will not draw attention at all. People will not even bat an, an eyelid to that. That's just part of London life. That's just, yeah. yeah. Why am I even looking at that twice? That's just, that's just London. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the funny thing about how different London is to the rest of the country. Cause in Manchester, he probably would have got his ass kicked for being a weird nonce. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it just is what it is. Um, so what? What's next? So yeah, he, go, he goes back to the uh, the apartment and he's like, "What? Well, what's going on?" And she's like, "What the fuck?" And then they end up going back to the uh, well, try and get back to the hospital, don't they? And obviously, he finds that he's in the uh, taxi with Bricktop from Snatch. Because the taxi driver's bricked up and he from Snatch. I can't remember his name. His name is just his, his name's forgotten. Jesus Christ, his name's gone. But yeah, anyway, he's mentioned he's talking like any London cabbie would do, just randomly chatting shit about current events and what's going on. These like, oh fucking hell, that guy must have been a maniac and stuff like that. He's like, hang on a minute, Jack was telling me about this what happened and stuff like that. He he comes to realization. He comes to that realization that he's the monster that Jack said he was. So then he, he stops the car, he gets out and he tells her to pay him. And then this is probably one of the funny scenes to me in the entire film is that bit where he's walking through. Is it less, not Lesser Square? The, Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar, Trafalgar Square. Square, yeah. He's, uh, he's like, he's talking to him, he's like, Jack was right, Jack was right. He goes, I'm a fucking werewolf. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's brilliant. That's just the best part of me. He goes, I'm a fucking werewolf. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people would be like, that's fucking bad, that's a werewolf. But then he, he's not because obviously he's kill people. And then he tries to get himself arrested because he thinks that's going to be the safest thing for him. And to be fair, when you're not thinking rationally, that's pretty clever. That gets get thrown into a, a cell because at least if you're going to change, you're not really going to get out. So it's clever. But it's when he starts telling that Queen Elizabeth's a man and Prince Charles is a Prince fag. Charles is a fag. <laughs> <laughs> Again, an American as well. Back in that was that was Thatcher's London as well. That was Thatcher's England as well, weren't it? Yeah, would have been, yeah. Even even on a film, even on a film set, screaming that shit. He was lucky. I mean, Don Landis was fucking brave doing that shit. Even Twiggy was there. There's a celebrity there too. Twiggy. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I don't don't know if you guys know, just as a little side note, um, it really is notoriously difficult to get a permit to film in Trafalgar Square. They're not given away to any. It's only very, very rare, you know, productions that actually get to film there. You know, so if, they, they must have done some serious um, groveling to try and get that information. Or they may have just fucking done it for fuck it. It was probably like five a.m. on a Sunday as well, or something. Yeah, <laughs> probably. You know. But yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, we, we missed something real bad. I mean, Frank Oz, he was in there as well. Oh, yes. he's, yeah, yeah, the American attaché, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's Down brilliant. Down kids. Yeah. Down kids. <laughs> but that's that's the thing when he comes on and he's he's chatting. I just. I, all I can see is Fozzie Bear, and I don't know whether John Landis <laughs> did that as, you know, as 
is another joke, you know, for you know, for his comedy. You yeah, know, yeah. you've got Fuzzy Bear and Terry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so that that was that, that was that was brilliant. But then obviously, then he he gets away, doesn't he, from um, Alex, and then he goes to that phone box and he does that collect call to the US and he's talking to him, and that's where it feels like he's going to he has to kill himself. He made, he's kind of made his peace because he says it's true to his family he loves him. And then he sees Jack Duddy sort of like over the finger <laughs> into the See You Next Wednesday film that's been shown in the theatre. No, it's it's clear, it's obvious. You've seen it. There's no spoiler alerts. If you've not seen it, you're a dumbass. But it's a porno theatre. And he, he runs over there quite casually. How much is it? She's like, yeah, two pounds or whatever. He's like, yeah, whatever. I'll give it two quid. <laughs> he goes into yes. his porno theatre. And then this is where the film turns, turns now for its weirdness because... This porno was not a porno that was just a porno. It was a porno that I've said porno a lot here, haven't I? It's going on some weird people's uh, recommendations. That's it, yeah, that's it. Fucking hell. It's a porno that John Landis filmed for this film. It was a, uh, <laughs> it's a fake, it's a, it's a, can't get this around my head. It's fucking. It was a film that was filmed for the film that doesn't exist. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I think you got it. I think you got it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, they they made a film so they could have a film in their cinema yeah. scene. It, yeah, it was just it kind of it's like whoa. <laughs> but yeah, it, that was great. And obviously, then we see Jack again. He's a bit more skeletal like now. He's proper skeletal and. His mouth is kind of just moving because it's obviously it's not Griffin Dunn now. This is Griffin Dunn's doing his uh, voiceover, isn't he? This is a puppet, yeah. Because yeah. he is proper decomposed at this point. And he's trying to make David realise that... Because he even says, I told you so. You know what I mean? He calls him a schmuck and everything. <laughs> and he got, he's trying to make David realise that, you know, you're going to do this again if you, you don't fucking kill yourself. And it's, I understand now. This this part, you kind of understand why Jack tried getting him to kill himself from, from the moment he met him, uh, the moment he saw him or came back to visit him. So it makes Jack's character almost complete because obviously this is also the last you see of Jack's character in the film because let's be honest, now the films have got about five or ten minutes left now, isn't it? It's coming to the end scene, yeah. 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 So to be fair, yeah. I mean, Griffin Dunn's character, Jack, is probably the most sort of pivotal role in the entire film because he's kind of like the backbone he's kind of the one that's fallen he's kind of almost directing the film within the film so yeah it's pretty cool yes yeah he he is he's uh being the guiding light for the journey isn't he because yeah. you know they're on a journey and it's gonna gonna involve various transitions and various re, re, re requirements and jack is like the signpost of those you know which which is really helps and really is a good part yeah. I think, yeah, I think, you know, I always kind of looked at Jack as kind of like the narrator of the story. He was telling the story. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, he only pops up when there's something important. You know, he pops up, you know, once David's, you know, been been scratched or been attacked to tell David of, of what he's going to do. He then pops up right before David does it. And then he pops up finally, you know, to say, told you so. Yeah. You need to do something about it. Do you know what I mean? So, well, yeah. Well, that's it, yeah. And uh, what else did he do? Because obviously now he's introducing to the people that he killed that night, and there's those two happy, that happy couple. They 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 make me laugh because they're happy just before they die, they're happy while they're dying, <laughs> and they're happy when they're dead. 
Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, get a gun, just stick it in your mouth. Poof, it's just like, oh, yeah, let's do that. It's just casual. Just, yeah. They're definitely uh, kind of glass half full people. Yes. Whereas yeah. uh, yeah. Michael Carter's character is definitely half glass empty. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he, he's funny when he's dead because he's just like, he just proper gives you shit. He's, he's a teacher, isn't he, with a finger? He's just yeah. like, you cunt. <laughs> My wife, my daughter now. <laughs> you know, and, and he's there, but he's the realist, though. He's the realist. Yeah. The, the homeless guys, they're, they're just pissed off that they're dead. They're not pissed off because of, though they're going to miss anyone or anything, because they're homeless. You know, and unfortunately, homeless people get like a, a shadow, a dark cloud over them. No one really cares. It's, it's wrong, really, but that's how society perceives them. But the happy couple, they don't give a fuck. They've got each other. They can go and walk the afterlife together. They're they're they're, they're, they're bothered. But with Michael Carter's character, he's like, "You've left my wife a widow and my daughter fatherless." That's really get gets right to the feels, that doesn't he? You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. just like, "Fuck!" You actually come to think of it, that is that a metaphor to people who kill people? It's like you don't kill people because you're a dickhead if you do. <laughs> you know, because you don't know yeah. what. So it's weird. Is the whole film could be a huge metaphor for basically don't be enough. It's like when really he starts changing in there. Now I've noticed when when I first started watching it. And now you have to understand, I was only about ten as well, like we said before. And I'm watching it, and he's making these weird noises and he's banging the thing and he's fucking changing. Because in my head, you know, you change, he's changing. And but I'm thinking, why are the people in the fucking in the in the seat? It's only about four or five people, and they're still watching the film. And he's changing into a fucking werewolf. <laughs> and when I was younger, I'm thinking, what the fuck? Why are people sat there? He's making noises, he's banging things. And when you get a bit older, you realise he could have been rubbing one off. And then I get yeah. in the phone. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, my childhood is ruined. <laughs> you know what I mean? It really ruins your childhood when you watch things from such a young age at an almost innocent level. And then when you get a bit older and you start realising shit and you're thinking, fuck. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, so he changes. And... Um, it's a bit of a quicker change, this one, obviously, because obviously you just see sort of like some close-ups of the fingernails getting longer and then obviously the face, and he goes, he tells that person to fuck off, and it's, it's cool. And then obviously that that woman goes and does it. You know that, that guy, the usher goes and has a look, and he's a fucking eating that guy, which I think is one of the best scenes in the film because he's clear, you can see the wolf, he's actually eating him. And then he shows and he fucking runs off and he puts that blind down, and then he's like, fucking hell, and... The, the noise that the werewolf's making inside that thing when it's banging on that door, or that, that shutter. Wow. But it, it makes you fucking think, fucking hell, that was real. You were still dead, fucking off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So anyway, he gets out, he calls, I guess that guy's uh, cop, uh, the cop is the um, head, and it goes off and bounces off everywhere. Brilliant, and such a good... I mean, when you see the wolf's head from the side view as well, that camera shot from the side view, and he's there, and he's chomping at people to have one pass at this. It's the first time, really, you really get to see the wolf, like, in, in action. Really, really, really cool. And then it runs off down that sort of, like, alleyway, and it's howling, and it's echoey, and it's fucking awesome, and the swat there, and she runs. Now, I don't know if it was, like, the VHS or the uh, early DVDs that I had, but... When you when the camera panned down, you can only see Alex running down there, but you couldn't see the werewolf down the down the bottom of the car, or the, the alleyway. But on the Blu-ray that I've got now, you can see the werewolf, and he's then it sounds like it sits in the corner, and he's, he's looking at Alex when they're having that talk, and then obviously it realizes that you know it's her, and then he fucking jumps, and then they get shot, and then obviously it's David and lying down there. So 
that's pretty much the end of the film because that's when the credits come. But what a yeah, film! There's no, there's no uh, epilogue or aftermath. It's purely he's gone. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah, which so, is yeah. probably the right kind of ending. Yeah, it is. It is the right ending because the thing is, I mean, they can't do a second one, and unfortunately, they did do a second one, and. <laughs> The the only tie into the second one is the no the blonde lady the blonde lady the werewolf the blonde girl she's apparently David and Alex's daughter. That's how I you man I've never seen the sequel but that's yeah. what I remember the premise basically being yeah. yeah apparently there that's her daughter and it's very very loose sort of storyline it doesn't really delve into it you don't even really go into it I think you kind of just have to sort of like anticipate that but the second one for me is a. Uh, Guilty pleasure. I don't watch it often or regularly. It is on Amazon Prime. Um, I don't recommend it. If you're if you're following trends on Facebook or following trends that people go it's a shit film, you're going to hate it. If you're going to watch it, watch it with an open mind, I guess, and just watch it. Just watch it for what it is. It's not great, but it's not shit at the same time. But anyway, so America Wolf in London. So let's just recap on some honourable mentions on things that we did actually forget. So. The Michael Carter scene in the, in the train. <clears throat> That's probably, for me, probably the best scene in the entire film. And I think that part is actually better than the actual change. No, the werewolf change. Because you see him, you know, Michael Carter is off. He's in the tube. And I'm sorry, but this is bullshit. I've only been on the tube a handful of times. But there is never anyone not there. It's always jammed. Yeah, there there are some liberties taken. I mean, I'm I was, like I said, born and bred Londoner, you know, so know the underground very well. And yeah, there are some liberties taken there. And yeah, you're right. One of them is the fact that there's never not anyone. It's always rammed, you know, for the time it's open. Yeah. Uh, but the scene is worth it. The scene is so yeah. powerful. You can let them sort of thing slide. It's not yeah. a problem. Well, that's it. And obviously, you know, it's like you hear it in the distance again, almost like the Jack and David attack. It's in the distance again and he's, oh, it's far away, you can get away and, you know, he's going and he's looking, he knows something's following him and that's the thing because he looks, he looks down and it's, it's such a, a chilling part of the film because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. You know he's, I mean, you don't even know he was going to die at first because you seem, you feel so far away, you think he might get away and he starts mm. running and, he turns around and he goes, oh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> In the most British way possible. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, up until then, there's only been deaths kind of almost in the animal yeah. environment, hasn't there? Because we've obviously yeah. had the instances up at the moors. Yeah. Then we've had Hampstead Heath, which is like a mini scaled down version of the moor. But now you're in, you know, a, a building, for want of a better word, where, yeah. where people tend to be the dominant force and not not in this case so you do probably you know have good uh, reasoning for thinking he's gonna he's gonna kind of get away especially when he gets the escalator you think yeah he's you know he's probably home free but no that's it yeah but it's that bit when he's running and he's and and the 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 growl he's doing almost sounds sounds like a big engine chopper where it's chasing him sort of thing like and i'm thinking and then he's running and he goes and I think it's so it looks like he's so close but yeah he's also so far away and it's, it's kind of emotionally like oh my god <laughs> and just but, don't forget the bit as well when he falls on the escalator that's if he, got if to you, have hurt yeah but if you blink and you yeah. miss it you know and and you know he's there and he's staring 
and yeah. you know, and just from the top of the screen, you get that just that little glimpse of it yeah, walking in. Glimpse. Do you know? What I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, you know, just um, amazing. Took me years to figure out that the werewolf was actually on that screen because my mate says we could, you know, see the werewolf there. Well, no, no. look at the top of the screen. Now you actually see him, and when you see him walking in, and he's fucking massive, isn't he? Yeah. And then yeah. you see him, and then it's getting closer and closer, and he's like, it's almost eye to eye. Oh, fucking terrifying. <laughs> Michael Carter. Oh, fucking brilliant. And obviously, yeah, go on. I was going to say, if we're going to talk about honourable mentions and things like that, um, one thing that I want to just raise is, you know, one thing that this film did, did really great, and I don't think was actually ever covered on any sort of werewolf film before that, is kind of the, the psychological change you know, because you have all the, the, you know, the scenes where David, obviously, you know, where he transforms into the werewolf, but this is the first time that ever there was like a, you know, it focused on the psychology. So, you know, David's mind is changing. So he's dreaming, he's running through the woods, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. he's eating deers, he's, you know, all of his worst fears, you know, his yeah. family being murdered family by being Nazis murdered, yeah. and stuff like that, you know, that's all coming out on this. And I think that this was the first film that, ever really kind of you know explored the effects that it would have on your mind you know and your personality not just your physical transformation if that makes sense yeah so what, you know, what you're yeah, saying is almost point, a psychological yeah. horror comedy yeah yeah you yeah know. so it brings me to a quick question alan as you are the filmmaker of the group if you was to film america wealth in the exact same so that mindset as john landis if you will but obviously with your flavor what scenes would you have changed how would you have changed it and why um it's a that's a really difficult question because it's a film that i love you know and when you when you have such you know when you really do like a film you know there's as as a viewer you you don't really find anything too wrong with it if that makes sense yeah. and obviously we've been talking about it i would i would remove the 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 zoo you know scene i would think that if you wanted to have a bit of storytelling of david getting back to the flat you'd probably just park him under a bush somewhere on Hampstead heath <laughs> so you know some, somewhere like that or somewhere you know um where there's not going to be that many people around yeah. you know it's going to be somewhere open and then you can still have the same uh, problems that he has getting back you know um that would be for me the major one um do you know what I really like now? This might be a bit controversial. I mean, I always thought that the ending was a bit weak. I think you had the good scene where, like we just discussed, where you know the wolf bursts out of the, the theatre um, and goes on this kind of little this rampage around, you know, uh, Leicester Square. Is it Leicester Square? It is, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leicester Square. Sorry, I always get Leicester Square and Piccadilly Circus mixed up for some reason. You know, but yeah, Leicester Square. He's, he's going around Leicester Square and that, and then it ends down an alley. You know, and I know that you know, you're looking at it from the, the 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 film's sort of point of view and the story that they're telling, that it basically this is, as much as it's a horror, it's it's a love story, you know, mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. Alex and between David, and that's what they wanted to get at the end. For me as a horror fan, sometimes, you know, that's not, <laughs> a love story is not kind of my, my main motivation for watching horror. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't change it, but what I, what I would consider doing is I would love to have maybe seen David tried to go back to East Proctor to figure out what was wrong with him and just get his yes. revenge on the, the, the people that didn't stop yeah. him from going in the first place, almost getting his revenge for Jack as well. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. I, th I think that would, you know, I would probably continue the film maybe another 15, 20 minutes, you know, and have him sort of trying to figure out how he can go back without 
without dying and obviously that would be the storytelling but that would be the the heartache of it that he can't actually do it unless he kills himself he's going to be a well forever so yeah. it's like okay fair enough you know go you know he's in his proctor he changes and all these people that yeah. wronged him you know what that would have been really cool if david did go back to his proctor and almost try and get almost a little bit of training yeah you know because obviously they knew about the werewolf mm-hmm then obviously that five point star was based that's why the whole town was in that pub because you know they knew it was a phone so maybe if he'd have gone there and gone right where did that other guy live what did he do you know did he run around the moors killing sheep whatever you know we, we don't know do we it's something that they could have maybe elaborated on made yeah. the story a little bit more stronger they, they do kind of you know touch upon it with the john woodvine character because mm. he obviously goes to his proctor yeah yes and and, and it's i think he handles his role really well because he's a medical man of science so yeah. even the the you know the, the mere idea of somebody turning into a werewolf he should just kind of cast away within seconds because of his background and his profession but he goes and he obviously does a little bit of digging i think you might add it would have been good to take that further maybe with either david or however just to get that get that closure that would have been good because yeah, you know been you cool. could probably understand that they've been hiding a werewolf for generations Mm, yeah you know, you know that guy who attacked david and jack is not the first you know there would have been you know there would have been kind of you know decades of this and that might have been a good yeah and they maybe could have they maybe could have elaborated as well on stick to the uh, road because does the werewolf not go on the road is that like the lava you know <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean because to me that that made no sense to I me mean, obviously stick to the road yeah because obviously you want that award eventually you're going to come to a town or something yes i get that it, but, it could have been a, could have been a, maybe a kind of territory thing. Yeah. You know, somewhere, we, because the creature is werewolf and human, somewhere in the psychology of it all, there could have been a kind of unwritten, you know, unsort of defined agreement where the werewolf stays on the moors and yeah. people stay on the roads and they won't ever, you know, because as is like kind of shown, humans could easily kill the werewolf if they have the right weapons oh, yeah. and the right armour, you know, and then they're ready. Equally, werewolves can kill humans if they've got the right premise to do it, you know, the dark, you know, the darkness to hide and the area to circle. So maybe there was an unwritten, you know, inner psychosis of it all. Yeah. You stay on the moors, we'll stay on the roads and nobody will die. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense that way. At least, at least that person who is the werewolf then can exist. But that would have been a really, really cool uh, sort of like story arc in the film if David did go back to his pots. I mean, I almost kind of now wish that that happened because that would have been really cool. It would have made the film not that it needed to be any better, but it would have just give the film that little bit of an extra fuck. That's a good film. <laughs> you know, I, I think if you look at it, you know, from, from the storytelling point of point of of, of 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 the film you know the obviously the when you when you look at it the the, the people of east proctor that are in the pub um they know it's, it happens they could have quite easily gone out and killed it before then yeah you know but they didn't so obviously you know in my mind they're protecting it yeah, yeah. you know so that would be the perfect place to get some answers from yeah you know when it's not oh when it's not i mean that's obviously very close-knit community they're all in the pub they all know each other when that dude isn't a werewolf he's someone's brother uncle yeah. son dad you know so they're they're protecting him you're right definitely 100 percent. yeah 
Do you know what? I mean, I've been watching, I've watched that film now for the best part of 30 years, and the fucking, that's the first time of, you're making me, well, I'm going to have to watch that film again. I'm going to have to watch Because, <laughs> no, you're right. This is why I love doing this, because you're right. I mean, you have your own thoughts, don't you, about how things work and how it goes, but then when someone else mentions something, you're like, you yeah. clever yeah, bastard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'm, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I've never thought of it that they're protecting it, but yet they kill it. And yeah. they kill it because obviously they know that now there's going to be another one. Mm-hmm. It's weird, and now you know there's a massive history lesson now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. why is, we need to go to the fucking sort of slot lab and have a sit down and game of chess with Brian Glover. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, so recommendations time now. So this part of the um, review all the podcast now, where we talk about recommendations of werewolf films that we recommend you go and watch. So I'm going to say just two. And I'm going to rob one clearly out of Alan's mouth now because I know he's going to say it. Howl. Because I watched that today for the first time and it was phenomenal film. It's brilliant. It's a British film. It was filmed just a few years ago. It's a very small concept. Train, blah, blah, blah. It stops. Werewolves, attacks, whatever. Great film. Great 90 minutes if you've got a 90 minute spare. Definitely go and watch Howl. Yeah. Second one, the remake of The Wolfman. Oh, cool. Yeah. I love that film. A lot of people don't like it, the Slayer, but I love the gothic look of it. I love the sheer sort of like... I love it. I thought it was a great film. I thought Spencer Wilding's Wolfman was brilliant. I th- I just thought... Um, I just thought the film was great. I thought it looked visually. It was beautiful. I just... I enjoyed it. I really love Hugo Weaving in that as Inspector yeah. Aberline. Just, mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't have got anyone better to play no. that role. It yeah. was a great film, and I don't care if people go, oh, yeah, shit, that, nah, it was a great film. No, it's not, it is a brilliant uh, yeah. film. Yeah. I loved it, I it's thought amazing. it was yeah. Anyone else got any recommendations for werewolf films? I would uh, probably just throw in maybe two obvious ones, but, you know, they're ones I like, is uh, Silver Bullet, of that, that's really you know i mean he's got you know gary boosie so what more do you want yeah, yeah. nutter is in a film you, you know you've got gary boosie you've got werewolves there you go that's already the combination you've got big teeth and big, big teeth yeah exactly <laughs> and uh dog soldiers dog soldiers, dog soldiers. Yeah. always always held in high regard yeah because that does bring some kind of comedy violence horror it's all in into one melting pot again a bit like american werewolf london so yeah yeah, they're, they're probably my two. If you haven't seen them, definitely definitely check them out. I'm going to say I've got two. Um, not necessarily a huge fan of it, but um, to have a different spin on it, um, watch Wolf with Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good yeah, it's, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different idea, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it was a long burn for me, um, yeah. but that's just personal preference, you know. You know, It's not a bad film, but it's you know for me, it's not the best one. Um, but I would also say... Um, because I'm a lover of classic, just go back and watch the original Lon Chaney Jr. Wolfman. Because, you know, it's it's so, so great because you've got Bella Lugosi as the gypsy. Yeah. Um, and when you look at it, it's, it's well, it was set in what you say, modern the modern day era where you've got cars, you know, nice towns, homes, but then you've got like, you know, the traveling Roman gypsies, you know, that keep, you know, in the woods and stuff. And, and really and truly, those worlds really should never should never come together but they do you know what i mean and even though they do and it shouldn't make sense it does you know and it's such a a great film and and really i mean as well you know we talked about the werewolf transformation um on american wealth in london 
But uh, the scene where Lon Chaney changes is often regarded as a really great piece of cinema because at that, at, up to that point, nothing like that had ever been done. You well, they use they use a big fade in and out sort of yeah. like thing, mm-hmm. and that never had been done before. So that was really really cool. And also as well, the Wolfman remake, two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. Rick Baker also did the Wolf change on that as well. Oh, did he? Just no, a bit, yeah, just just yeah. a bit of a, of a uh, yeah. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, no, you're probably right with that because the, the Wolfman, the original one. I mean, the woman launching launching launching, and it was fucking. It's you can't compete. No, and it's it's just so atmospheric, you know, with yeah. the the fog on the ground and the, the gnarly old trees that you see the wolfman sort of creeping up to and peering over and stuff. It's... There's there's a bit as well where the wolf is running through the forest. Norway runs from tree to tree, sort of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, the music that's playing, we play it a little bit faster. It's exactly the same as the Batman theme. Just thought I'd let you know that. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it on a thing a long time ago. And I thought I've got to watch it, so I played it. it it's <laughs> but it's, it's slower. And it's just like <laughs> that's funny. That. <laughs> and um, yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode. See you guys. Take care.